Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First and foremost, I want to give you all a huge thank you for helping the show reach over 5 million listens. 5 million. That's that's just bananas. It's literally all because of you. I'm so blown away. I've only been doing the show for a little over two years, and this humble little horror show I started for fun has helped me reach heights I didn't even know were possible. Enough sappy stuff. (laughs) Let's get scary. Our author this week, Robert Eyre, Hare, sorry Robert, is well known around these parts, and many of you are big fans of his work. Well... Lucky for you, I have two stories from Robert this week. Honestly, they were both just really great, and I felt like they really complimented each other, and I completely forgot that they were both by the same author. (laughs) You'll see why I made that mistake. They are so incredibly different, but so good in their own ways, both with female protagonists who have issues with their husbands, hence the title of the episode, First up is a modern tale. This one is called Home. They finally made it. Home. After a drive that felt like an eternity, it was mercifully at an end. He was still asleep in the passenger seat. She put the car in park and sat staring out the windshield. The snow had gone from flurries to full-blown blizzard. Giant white flakes fell from a pitch-black sky, as if the angels themselves were shedding their wings. Fitting, she thought to herself. They always loved snowstorms. To curl up with each other on the couch in that little cabin in the woods and just watch the snowfall. Not anymore, though. She wanted desperately to tell him about the affair she was having, about how she had felt trapped, how all she wanted to do was try to find fulfillment in this dull life she somehow wound up in. That all had to wait. His doctors started to get concerned about his scans only a few months ago. Then he started with his fainting spells. Now he was told that this coming Christmas would be his last, and to try to enjoy what time he had left. She couldn't tell him now. He didn't deserve to hear that now. Nobody did. She still cared about him, after all. Is something wrong? He asked in a weak and raspy voice. No, nothing at all. With that, she got out of the car and walked over to his side to open the door. God, he had grown so weak. He used to be able to literally sweep her off her feet. Now he was reduced to this shell of a man, barely able to support his own weight. 
As she helped him out of the car, he began apologizing. He always did this when he needed her help. No matter how much she despised being his primary caretaker, these brief moments of vulnerability almost made her forget all about it. It's okay. I've got you. She whispered softly to him. They began making their way to the house. The snow made thick, crunching noises under their feet. The wind was particularly cold that night, so she decided to forego admiring the snow-covered trees that surrounded the house. As they opened the door and stepped inside, she took off her coat and hat. He attempted to do the same, but to no avail. He was far too weak. She felt so bad for him. Let me help. While helping him with his jacket, she caught a glimpse out of the still-opened front door. She wasn't sure, but she thought she saw a silhouette of a person at the edge of the property, just out of reach of the porch light. She must be seeing things, she thought. After she got his coat off and helped him change into his pajamas, she kissed him goodnight. Why not sleep in the bed with me tonight? He asked, in a voice barely above a whisper. I don't want to chance getting you sick with a cold or anything. She could tell that the excuse was getting old with him, but he clearly had no energy to fight it. Okay, he said meekly as he rolled over and pulled the covers up. I love you she said as she left the room. Love you too. His voice was starting to crack, as if he was about to cry. She acted like she didn't notice, shut the light off and closed the door. She headed into the kitchen to make herself some hot chocolate. She mixed in some Irish cream to soothe the edges of the day. It used to be a few drops here and there, now it took up more than half the mug. She was frazzled. No, she was more than frazzled. She was downright strung out. How much longer did she have to keep living like this? Living this lie? As long as it takes, she whispered to herself. She brought the mug over to the couch to watch the snow. She absent-mindedly took out her phone and started to dial the number she would never dial during the day. The phone rang and rang and rang. She left a message saying how much she missed him and how she couldn't wait to just be in his arms again. Just as she hung up, the motion detector lights went on in the front yard. She sprang up to the window. Probably just an animal, she thought. When she looked outside, she squinted. She could see that silhouette again. It was more pronounced this time. Its black frame stood out against the falling snow. She rushed outside to get a better look, but by the time she opened the door, it was gone again. Perplexed, she turned back and headed to the couch. Her nerves must be getting to her. She walked over to the record player and flipped through the selection. Miles Davis, 
Bitches Brew, a classic. She placed the record on the form table, and the record scratched to life. As the swirling trumpet started to fill the room, she sipped more and more from her mug. She kept refilling and emptying her glass well into the early hours of the morning, intermittently calling the number over and over again, leaving message after message. She realized she was getting loud and boisterous, but she didn't care. This was just a breaking point, no doubt about it. When the record started to skip and scratch at the end, she decided to turn in for the night. Just as she walked over to the record player to shut it off, there was a loud click and the sound of all the electronics winding down. Power was out. Snowstorm must have knocked it out. Not uncommon up in this area. She felt around for the fireplace as her eyes adjusted to the darkness. When she felt the cold brick, she reached down to the pile of lumber next to it. As she lit the match to start the fire, it suddenly went out. She struck another match, and after bursting to life, it too went out. As if someone blew it out. Maybe the window is open, she thought. She stumbled over to the window, and with one eye closed, drunkenly inspected it. It was closed tight. Then, as her focus shifted to the trees outside, she saw something. The storm had stopped. The yard and trees were covered in feet of freshly fallen snow. The moon was hanging so low and bright that it illuminated everything it touched. And then, she noticed it. The silhouette had come back. Only this time, it was bathed in moonlight. It wore a black hooded robe and had what looked like a mask over its face. It was a dark yellow with three vertical blood-red lines painted right down the middle. Immediately, she sobered up. Its gaze was fixed on her, stone cold and eerily menacing. She started to step back and recoil in fear. Just then, she noticed one of the trees rustle in the yard. Another one of those beings stepped out from the brush and stood next to the first. The same black hooded robe, the same mask, the same stare, straight through her soul. The other tree branches started to shake, revealing more of the ghostly beings. She stumbled back and tripped over the coffee table. As she scrambled back to her feet, she looked out the window again. Their numbers had grown vastly. They must be surrounding the whole house, she thought. Their eyes began to glow an ominous shade of red. They all began stepping slowly and methodically toward the house. She turned and sprinted for the bedroom, knocking over everything in her path. She shoved the door open and slammed it behind her. He was still asleep. Wake up, she screamed. No answer. Jesus, wake up. She screamed again. Still no response. She stumbled over to the bed and shook him violently. Wake up! She sobbed in between the heavy thrusts. Then, 
It slowly dawned on her. He wasn't asleep. He was dead. She screamed. It was the only response she could muster. She saw his cold and lifeless eyes transfixed on the window that faced his side of the bed. She glanced up. There they were. Bright yellow masks, partially covered by black hoods. Gleaming red eyes pressed up against the window. Some of them reached up and scratched the glass with long, pointed black nails. The screech of the glass was deafening. She could see more of them gathering behind. She fell backwards off the bed and fumbled at the handle on the door. After opening the door, she ran out into the hall. Between her panicked breathing and the power being out, she couldn't see anything. All she knew was that she needed to run. As she escaped the hallway and turned toward the front door, she ran to... something. A wall? No, she was certain of that. A tall piece of furniture, maybe? Whatever it was, it was large and sturdy enough to not give at all and knocked her flat to the floor. She scrambled to her feet. Just as she got to her feet, the power turned back on. All the lights flooded the house again. As her eyes adjusted to the brightness, she began to notice what she ran into. Large, black robe. Yellow mask. Three red vertical lines. The eye holes of the mask were black and vacuous, giving away nothing of what hid behind it. They stared at each other for what seemed like hours. Then, with one quick stroke, it slashed her face with its claw, and then everything just went black. Across town, a man fumbled into his apartment. Long night at the bar. Bound to be an even longer night because he realized he forgot his phone. He was expecting her to call him, and he knew he was going to hear about it sooner or later. He picked up his cell. Ten missed calls. Great, he muttered. He listened to the first voicemail. Nothing but static. The next was the same thing. Messages three, four, five, all the way up to nine were just a loud hissing static. Then, he listened to the last voicemail. This was static as well, but it sounded different. If he listened very carefully, he could hear what he thought was a voice in the background. It sounded choppy and almost metallic. It sounded like it was saying, Nobody's home. Nobody's home. This next story 
had me mourning the fact that I've never practiced doing an Irish accent and haven't perfected one because this story would be much more beautiful in an Irish brogue than my (laughs) flat Californian American accent. Um, So I am so sorry that I, I would have attempted one, but you would have all laughed and turned off the podcast or screeched in horror. Um, not sure which, but <laughs> let's step into a time machine and go back to 17th century Ireland with Caltanus. had ravaged Michaela O'Brien's country. The year was 1653. Close to the end of the Eleven Years' War, Ireland's fight against a tyrannical rule from England. They fought hard, and paid in blood and tears a thousand times over, yet it seemed that all hope was lost. King Charles possessed an iron grip on the Emerald Isle and Scotland that no one could break. Her husband Connor had just recently come back home to her, his soul completely and utterly crushed from serving in the Irish resistance movement. What was the point of it all? He'd ask. We'd push fifty of the bastards away and a hundred more of them would come rushing back the next bloody day. All that killing and maiming, twas for naught. You mustn't think like that, love. Any day could mean something different. Be right over the horizon, Michaela would reply. I'm just so tired. I'm done with fighting. I'm done with killing. I just want to close me eyes and sleep. But I can't for some reason, said Connor. Michaela tried to bring life back to normal for her husband. She made him his favorite dishes for every meal. He wouldn't eat a bite. She asked him to help her with the farm errands. He wouldn't lift a finger. She made sure their bed and pillows had fresh goose feathers and straw so that it was as comfortable as possible. But he never slept. Every night, Connor would lie awake, talking about the fires and musket shots that kept ringing in his ears. Women, children, livestock. It was all swallowed up by this war. The things I've seen are nothing for mortal men to lay eyes on. Just try to close your eyes and get some sleep, love, Michaela replied. I just can't, and I'm not so certain why, said Connor in a meek and faded voice. One morning, Michaela woke up to find the bed empty. Connor was in the kitchen, staring at the empty fire pit. What are you doing, Connor? I wanted to make some eggs, but... But what? I can't remember how to cook them. 
Oh, love, don't you worry about it. I'll get the eggs from the hens and I'll show you how it's done. Bring back that old memory of yours. What do you say? Connor simply nodded. Right then, grab your shoes and let's learn a thing or two, yeah? Outside, Michaela walked with Connor to the hen's house. As she peeked in to look at the hens, they all stopped clucking and fixed their gaze on her and Connor. Then, with no explanation, they started fluttering their wings and shrieking. Michaela chuckled. Oh, it's been so long since they've seen you, they forgot your handsome face. Connor just sat next to her completely emotionless. Michaela reached in and grabbed half a dozen eggs. Suppose you'll want some milk to go with these eggs, yeah? She said in a chipper voice. Connor said nothing in return. They walked over to the goat pen. The goats all reared up and started making noises as if they were in pain. I don't understand, said Connor in a voice of confusion. You've been gone so long, they must have forgotten you, too. Michaela grabbed Connor's hand and put it in the pen. Maybe they just need to recognize your smell is all. All the goats went into a panic when his hand passed through the gate. They screamed and kicked as if they were being led to the slaughter. All except for one. Their black goat, Thomas. He stood, transfixed on Connor. His square pupils locked on the couple. With a simple bleat, he began pacing back and forth, bucking his head here and there, never moving his eyes from Connor. Michaela held Connor's hand and waved it towards Thomas. The goat slowly walked over and simply continued to stare at Connor. Well, we'll just get some milk later, huh? Michaela started a fire and put the eggs in a pot to boil. They sat silently until Connor broke the silence. I thought I heard something. What's that? I thought I heard Thomas whispering to me. Connor, love, he's just a goat. All he'd say is, where's me damned food? Connor didn't even acknowledge his wife's attempt at humor. I'm not sure what, but I swear, I heard something. He seemed to drift off into his own thoughts. Connor? He started to sigh and stared out the window. I swear, I heard something. After breakfast, Michaela went back outside to harvest the crops. Connor stayed in the house, saying again that he was tired and just wanted to go to sleep. As she plucked and pulled, she looked out at the horizon. It was only a matter of time before the king's men came over that hill. No doubt they had come full power to decimate everything in their path in order to stop the resistance movement Connor had fought so hard for. She knew she needed to make as much of this time as possible. 
God only knew how much longer she could spend with her husband. And she wasn't going to waste a second of it. No matter the cost. As Michaela carried the day's harvest back to the house, two figures started to show in the distance. Michaela put her hand over her eyes and squinted. It was her nearest neighbors, Sandra and John Monahan. She dropped her bag of crops and walked to the front gate to meet them. Top of the morning, John and Sandra. And the rest of the day to yourself, dear, replied John. To what do I owe the honor of seeing you on this fine day? Well, we wanted to drop by and see how you were holding up. We knew your Connor was in that battle with our son. Aye, he was. Terrible thing, that. Connor's not been the same since he's been back. How's Brendan getting along? The Monahans stopped and stared at Michaela. After looking at each other, Sandra broke the silence. Connor's alive? Aye, we worse for wear, but he's still kicking, thank the Lord. But the, the general told us he was sure no one made it out of that fight alive. You, you see, the army brought Brandon home to us, but... Sandra's eyes started to fill with tears while her voice started to crack. Brendan was brought back home so that we could give him a proper Christian burial. The general told us how bravely everybody fought. And they fought to the last man. Oh, by lord, I'm... I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you, love. But honestly, we're so happy to hear Connor's alright. We'd assumed the worst, and we wanted to see if there's anything you needed. Oh, thank you for being so kind, but we're doing just dandy. Forgive me, but I'd have invited you in for a wee bite, but Connor's not feeling well, and I I'm not sure if he'd... Oh, think nothing of it, lass, said John in a gentle manner. You just go in there and take care of your man. He will let us know when he's better. We'd love to have you all over for supper and a few ales. Oh, of course, replied Michaela. As she walked back into the house, she saw Connor sitting on a stool, looking out the window. His face was motionless. His eyes were bloodshot and he had these huge bags under his eyes from going days without sleep. The Monahans? He asked in a voice just above a whisper. Aye, his wife replied. Did they tell you how Brendan died? God, no. Why on earth would they? Good. It was awful. Blood everywhere. Come to think of it, it's the last thing I remember before coming back home. Michaela sat in silence, not sure how to respond. I suppose you don't hear that, 
Hear what, Connor? Never mind. His eyes were fixed on Thomas, the black goat. In his head, he heard a faint, raspy whisper. That night, the couple sat down to dinner by candlelight. The flames flickered weakly on their faces. Connor was completely disheveled. His face was growing pale, and his hair grew long and unkempt. He sat staring at the food in front of him. Not hungry, love? asked Michaela. No response. Connor, why am I here? What? I can't sleep. I can't eat. I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. What do you mean, love? Connor then suddenly slammed his fist into the table, shaking Michaela. That fucking goat won't shut up. All he says, day and night, is Caltanus, like some sick fucking chant. Ain't I suffered enough from this godforsaken war? He stood up and began slapping himself in the ears and head. Why won't it stop? Michaela slowly stood up in fear and began to approach her husband. Stay back! Connor shouted. Five days. Five fucking days since I came back and I haven't slept a wink. I ain't eaten a single morsel of food and I... I've been hearing so many voices. I keep hearing the screaming. I keep hearing the fires. I keep hearing the fucking goat. Michaela stepped back in utter confusion and absolute fear. Connor began to laugh like a madman. Caltanus, have you heard that word before? Michaela shook her head no. It's Gaelic. Me mum spoke it to someone when I was a boy. I never cared to learn it myself. Never needed to. Connor slowly walked over to the butcher's block and grabbed the knife that was used to carve the meat for the night's dinner. He glared into it and saw his reflection. He almost seemed like he was admiring himself. It means loss. Loss of a loved one. Loss of innocence. Loss of anything you once held dear. I've lost so much, Michaela. I've fought and killed so many people. And now, I've lost even me ability to slip away from this world. Even if only for a few hours of sleep. He started twirling the knife in his hand and slowly approached Michaela. His footsteps thudding on the thin wood panels on the floor. I am so tired. 
Michaela backed up away from him. He kept moving slowly towards her, knife in hand. I'm going to have to take extreme measures, my beloved wife. I'm going to sleep, no matter what, and I'm going to make sure that we... We sleep together, just like any other married couple. But first... Connor suddenly stopped and turned around. First, I'm going to slice that fucking goat to ribbons. Connor stormed out of the back of the house and into the goat's pen, with Michaela right behind him. Connor walked towards Thomas, the black goat, when Michaela screamed his name and begged him to stop. He turned around and flashed the knife at her, almost as a reminder that he was coming for her next. As he turned back to Thomas, he stopped dead in his tracks. The goat was gone. In his place was a tall and lanky man. His chalk-white skin stood out against the long black robe he wore. He was staring at the ground at first, showing only his bald scalp. He slowly lifted his head to show his eyes were completely covered with cataracts and smiled to show his teeth. Every one of them was sharp as daggers. His smile faded to a smirk. Michaela began to scream. But the man waved his hand, and against her will, her mouth was shut. He focused on Connor, who stood completely paralyzed. He lifted his hand to show his open palm, and Connor fell to his knees. Connor's head began to droop. Then the man turned back to Michaela. He put his long, bony finger to his mouth in a shushing motion. Then, he pointed the same finger toward the horizon. It was glowing red under the night sky. The army. They were coming, setting fire to anything they could find. They were leaving nothing behind them but a trail of death and destruction. Michaela looked at the man in the black robe, who held her dear husband in some sort of trance. He laughed. She ran back into the house. She knew she didn't have much time. She flung open the door to the cellar and stampeded down the stone stairs. Michaela ran to the far corner of the cellar and began tossing aside piles of cloth and hay. Then she stopped. She reached what she meant to and began to hysterically sob. There was Connor's corpse, delivered to her five days ago. The general said he fought valiantly and that he fought with everything he could she wasn't ready to give him up. I'm so sorry, Connor, she whimpered as she cradled his decaying body. I was just so lonely. I couldn't let you go yet. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to make you suffer. She gently brushed what was left of his hair and rocked him back 
and forth. I just couldn't let you sleep without me. Please forgive me, Connor. Oh, please forgive me. She buried her head in his chest and cried like never before. The cellar began to feel overwhelmingly hot. The English army set fire to the house, but she didn't care. We can sleep now, love. With that, she kissed her husband's dead body, and the cellar gave way to the weight of the burning house above it, covering them in smoldering embers and flame. listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's stories. I know I did. I had so much fun producing them. And remember, if you have your own short horror stories, or even some that are a little on the long side, I've had a few that are, I think my longest episode was about two hours long, maybe a little under that. Anyway, you can send them to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com to be considered to be on the show. And if I pick them, you'll get the full Scare You to Sleep treatment, just like Robert did this episode. (laughs) Um, You know, sound effects, music, all that good stuff. I love taking what you've done with your brain and then using my brain and collaborating into this, you know, this beautiful, beautiful, horrific thing that both scares and soothes people. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, (laughs) Tumblr, Facebook. I think that's all of them. I feel like I'm missing one and I cannot remember what it is or I'm not. And I'm just, you know, losing my marbles. Um, Yeah. Uh, So I hope you have a good week. I hope you have a good weekend. Uh, drink water, stay hydrated. It's been, at least where I'm at, it's been really hot still. I've, it, it always gets to this point at the end of August and like early September where sometimes I get this fear of like, fall is never going to get here. Winter's never going to get here. It's going to be an endless summer. And I get this weird anxiety about it because it's just 90 degrees, 90 plus degrees every single day. And as I've moaned to you all before, The air conditioner in my apartment is awful. (laughs) It's actually a little better now, but it still stays around 84 degrees, which isn't terrible. It's a lot better than 94 degrees, which it was before they did whatever they did to it. Wow. Now I'm just talking about apartment stuff. That's super interesting. Maybe, you know, my friends just made a joke this weekend about how I should start a show called bore you to sleep. And I think that's, this was the beginning of bore you to sleep. So I'm going to let you go. All right, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>